Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we are covering Stargate Atlantis, Season 1, with Joseph Malazzi, who is returning, I believe, for Part 9 of his discussion. We've been moving through the entire franchise gradually, and it's... uh, it's that time that we do that we uh, we cover Stargate Atlantis. But before we get started, if you like Stargate, and that's the wrong button, if you like Stargate, <laughs> warts and all, man, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will help the show grow its audience, especially now that uh, Amazon's buying. So this is this is the time to strike. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the that subscribe icon and giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the course of the next several days on the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels, particularly GateWorld. Uh, Joe and I are doing this pre-recorded, so thanks to everyone on uh, the the YouTube uh, Dial the Gate page who submitted their questions. We had a number of them, and um, we got a lot of them answered. So let's go back in time and uh, bring in Joe for this pre-recorded episode. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer, Stargate Atlantis. Welcome back to Dial the Gate, sir, as we enter the second series in our ongoing discussion. How are you? I am great. One down, two to go. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, you know, we've been doing this now since what, October of last year? And now we've finished SG1. We're going on to the second series. How does it feel walking down um, through these stories and through the process? Was it what you expected? Has has some come, some, uh, memories come to the surface that you didn't expect. How's this been? Yeah, I mean, so it's always a lot of fun, and and I thank you for prompting me mm-hmm. throughout this journey. Because whenever I, I, I go on podcasts, I'm always somewhat reticent because I feel as though I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. But you're actually very good at uh, kind of spurring the various topics of uh, of conversation and, and and kind of prodding my memory because I have a terrible memory. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Well, I am I am happy to, and I'm and I'm so thankful that we have had a a a diehard fan base who has been prompting me as well. I mean, in, in this particular situation, because we're doing a pre pre recorded show, I'm moving this month. Um, I had the benefit of reviewing all of the uh, the questions beforehand, and I had a couple of things came up here that I was like, oh. I need to check the episode for that. Oh, I mm-hmm. don't even remember that. So I'm interested in 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 having a, a discussion with you about this one because I, it's a a it's a new show, but b because I have the benefit of everyone submitting the questions beforehand. I feel, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more of a fruitful discussion because I'm on my point from the very beginning with what they want to hear. So yeah, and now, it's now a I'm new kinda, show, and I'm kind of nervous now because uh, <laughs> if you didn't remember them. 
you know, those elements. So, well, the only thing, and I'll, the, the, the one thing that I'm speaking of that I'll, that, I'll, that I'll bring up to the front here, because it was one of those, like, odd little things, and I can't find the question in here to save my life, so I'll reference the, car- the person mm-hmm. who submitted it later. But uh, one of the fans had asked, uh, in Letters from Pegasus, the Wraith fire a beam at the mm-hmm. planet. And I was like, a beam? Yep. What are you talking about? Like a like the, mm-hmm. the calling beams? Mm-hmm. And they said that... it's never referenced again. Whatever yes. this is, they're like sucking life out of the planet or something. Yeah. And I went back and I'm like, sure enough, it's a huge component of that episode. This this shot of this this energy beam. And we that never look is at a it question. Again. I'll be honest with you, that is a question that gets answered I think gets asked once every couple of months. Seriously. Month yes, yes. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll head off that question by saying, answering the same way I do. Who wrote that episode? Uh, I, I think it was Binder. Yeah, that is a question for Carl Binder. You can find him. He is on Twitter, <laughs> CP Binder, or at CP Binder. And uh, I'm sure he would be uh, delighted yeah. to field your, uh, your, your Stargate-related queries. I would have to. That, that's fair, folks. Yeah, check that out. When we go through the, mm. um, the, uh, the q and I'll... I'll, I'll uh, give a shout out to the person who asked that that particular question but i mean mm-hmm. i i think it's i think that they're they're extracting life from the planet mm-hmm. you know and that would be to like to feed the hive ship you know because the hive ships are organic and the cruisers are organic yep. what do they eat yep. you know mm-hmm. did the wraith in your opinion did the wraith like share some of their life energy with their ships were they were they that conjoined you know yeah no and in my opinion they suck the life out of the planet Okay. Yeah, it makes exactly. sense. I will. I will. I will confirm your hypothesis. But uh, <laughs> we, you know, there's no way to know for sure, right? Until we speak to the man, the man Paul himself. Binder. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the, the meat of of Atlantis uh, talking season one, Trigger wants to know what are your thoughts on the future of Stargate and how things can be affected by the um, uh, the Amazon purchase of MGM. Um, I believe that with the Amazon purchase, it will accelerate potential new Stargate. What form that will take remains to be seen because I think in the end, the executives at MGM realized, uh, you know, I think um, the value of the existing fan base, the value of the existing franchise. And so they reached out to Brad and and he's been at work on developing the series and, and, you know, it's something I've, I've kept saying. If the executives are smart, they will greenlight a show that offers the best of both worlds, a mm. perfect jumping on point for new fans, what at the same time set in the canonical universe that, you know, was created uh, and, and uh, you know, hopefully created or, you know, developed, created by Brad Wright. Mm. Uh, and if they don't, um, I think, the fans will be very, very angry, and they'll let their anger be known uh, online. But you know, hopefully, it won't come to that. Well, I, 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 I have a, I am cautiously optimistic. I really, mm-hmm. part of me thinks it could go fifty-fifty. They may look at us and go, you know what, we've got to start fresh. But I keep looking at shows like The Expanse and mm-hmm. um, the care that they're putting into uh, uh, trying to reach out to the Lord of the Rings uh, community, and I have hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As do I, as do I. I mean, basically, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of fielding best and worst case scenarios. Right. In, in either case, I think Stargate is coming back. Yep. Um, oh, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, we'll get that ring, you know, yeah. one way or another. It's just right. what form will it take and the participants yeah. that are going through it. So, 
Mm-hmm. Louisville guy wanted to know, Joe, what was the process for creating SGA? Was it mainly Brad and Rob? Or did it they was... meet with the larger group of writers to brainstorm some general ideas for the new concept? Absolutely not. No, it was all Brad and Rob. And they developed it. They pitched it. And then uh, and they wrote uh, the one, two, uh, one and two, uh, rising one and two. And at that point, I, you know, the, the rest of the writers were kind of brought on board and, and, and we helped kind of develop the series after that. But the show was, was fully developed and created by Brad and Robert. What do you think of rising? Uh, I like rising. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I, you know, I look back on it and, and, I think it, it it still holds up that majestic uh, sequence of Atlantis uh, rising up out of the water always kind of gives me uh, goosebumps. Rainmaker outdid themselves. Yeah. The work was just yeah. extraordinary. Bruce Walsh yeah. and his team, it's like, man. Yeah. You know, just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, so Rising and, and the characters and all of that were fully formed by Brad and Rob, and then you guys got to come into that sandbox in the season and, and start playing with the toys. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't as easy as that. I mean, I think back to the casting, and the mm. casting was particularly uh, challenging. I don't know what you heard, but for instance, there was a doctor. I think Doctor Benjamin was Benjamin ca- Ingram. Ingram, yeah, Doctor Ingram. Okay, uh, was a character created for the role, and we held auditions, and no one really popped. And as kind of time went on, we we're getting closer and closer to production, we realized we didn't have a Dr. Ingram and at which point Rob suggested, why don't we bring someone on from SG-1, an established character? And he suggested Rodney McKay. And uh, first we were like, uh, I, I guess so. He's and, a, and, he's a yeah. villainous almost. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And so it, it was actually really interesting in that, it was kind of an eleventh, you know, eleventh hour decision, and um, you know what could have been if we would cast that Doctor Benjamin character, we never would have developed the Rodney McKay character beyond SG One. Yeah, that's I, I don't know. I mean, Rodney could have ended up on Universe mm-hmm. for crying out loud. Who knows? But I mean, the I cannot imagine Atlantis without the energy of David Hewlett and Rodney McKay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I agree. I, they are they are synonymous. I agree. You know, the man, I think, shouldered at least fifty percent of all the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> if you add up word for word, yeah. <laughs> jeez. Redux wanted to know um, when when you're looking at uh, Rising and your interpretation of of the return of that character from Frozen, Ayana. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think the story is there? Was there signed of some kind of breakup to move to another galaxy? Her uh, her husband in real life is giving her quite the stink eye because those those two were actually married. Um, yeah, I yeah, I, I think I, it I, had I, something to do with the plague, but there's no way to know for sure. Yes, no, it, it definitely had something to do with the plague. But again, this is one of those elements that I, I referred to earlier that for me is kind of lost to time. Mm. Um, now, again, Brad Robert wrote the episode, and and I'm sure in their mind they 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 they. they uh, they still fully remember uh, the game plan and all the pieces that, uh, you know, they, they put together for, for to, to tell that particular story. So I will have to beg off that question. All right. That's fair. And Dan Dutton, 
uh, of the episodes that, that you did in season one, what was the hardest to crack before we get into them? Which, uh, I so, mean, I look back on season one and I have hmm. to say that unlike SG-1, where I look back in season four, the episodes we wrote for season four, and I think that's one of the strongest seasons mm -hmm. of writing we did. I don't think it was until seasons four and five of uh, of Atlantis that, that uh, four and five were our strongest season. Season one, I'm trying to think back. Um, and uh, I have to say, I mean, I, I don't, except for the finale, mm. I think... Um, there were no real for me like like episodes that really stood out as as episodes i thought wow we we really hit out of the park i'm actually gonna mm -hmm. bring them bring them up on imdb yeah you did suspicion home yeah. letters from pegasus and the siege 2 oh okay um no i didn't we didn't do letters from pegasus uh excerpts Oh, excellent. my apologies. Okay, yeah, yeah. My no, apologies. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're only three, three episodes. Wow. So uh, Feels yeah, suspicion. Like more. Yeah, suspicion was kind of tough because it was our first episode. Home was was hell because the network hated it because I I included Why? like a bunch of um, because I had to do like like a total uh, rewrite because it wasn't there wasn't enough action in it. I mean, I had sequences where um, O'Neill. Uh, is introducing Taylor to the world and they go to the park, they get an ice cream and it's kind of like a fun little, and they were like, no, we just got to get to like the, you know, the cool sci-fi things. And I, you know, it, it was fine, but I remember they were, they uh, reacted very uh, adversely to that. Particular episode. You said O'Neill, did you mean to say Shepard? Oh, sorry, Shepard. Shepard was yeah. introducing, yeah. Yes. I, uh, <sighs> Taylor to them. Yeah, I think he takes her like shopping or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There was... <sighs> I enjoyed the episode because it's uh, a, an alien race that's that's hidden kind of beneath the surface. We don't know mm -hmm. uh, that there's that there's involvement of another another species, and we, there was so uh, few opportunities or a few times where we had a, a non corporeal uh, yeah. uh, threat, other than like the Ori, for instance, but uh, mm -hmm. a fresh new alien species. And I thought the mist as an, and as, as an intelligent form was a cool idea. And the fact that, you know, when the wormhole yeah. opens, I'm, you end up killing some of them because they're yeah. literally what charges the gate. Yeah. I, I just kind of love those type of episodes, kind of the, the twist where basically you think the first twist is it. And then, and then you do throw in another twist and then the third <laughs> twist. Uh, pardon me. Actually, I got, Oh, I'm sorry. You want to pause? So, uh, no, 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 I'll be fine. Okay. Um, I'll, 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 uh, fight through it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, you know, in my mind, I, I always thought, you know what a fun way to end the series would be to suddenly have, go back to the home planet and have him to wake up and realize that seasons, uh, two, three, uh, four and five were all a dream. So new heart head. style. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh. Did sure we own a hotel in the yeah. mountains? <laughs> we were under the sea. That's yeah. crazy. You're the one who's responsible for the intergalactic gate bridge, though, too. Well, I had the idea for it. But, I mean, Brad calls the shots. Right. And so, basically, he, you know, we we, uh, we ended up spinning the idea. And, uh, and and yeah, I mean, I guess I am kind of to blame. So, Although but it's a great idea. I mean, it is a great idea. But, I mean, like you said, um, it's more fun having them cut off. 
Absolutely. And the, I mean, the, uh, the benefit of it is, you know, once you create something, you can always destroy it later, which yes. presented yes. the wonderful Midway episode, I think Carl yes. Binder's episode. Yes. And uh, just a Teal Ronan extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's there is a lot of uh, a lot of good that came out of it. Uh, as long as the end result later on is that you know you get uh, you get the the pieces reset so that uh, everything is more difficult. But by se- yeah, so season one they are they are still uh, cut off from Earth. And in hindsight, would you have extended that arc longer if you could have, or do you think one season was enough? You know, I I. I... There's no reason we couldn't have extended it, to be honest with you. I mean, it was destroyed. You can just rebuild the network. Right. Um, so, I mean, we could have. From a story point of view, uh, in retrospect, it didn't. It, there was a convenience. No, let me back up. That's Joe. Like, I mean, yeah. for, for, season, for season one, they were stranded. Yeah. Was, uh, yes. was, it, um, was season one long enough time for them to be stranded? Or would you have continued that arc into like seasons two or three? Where they were in, just on their own. In, in retrospect, I probably would have okay. preferred to keep them isolated. I think that would have been more interesting. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. you have the you, the ZPM start coming in, and then mm-hmm. the, one of the things in the back of fans' minds going in from from episode to episode is okay. At what power level is Atlantis? How how capable are they? of right. defending themselves if something happens. And then when they come under right. attack, that, that power level just starts going down. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that was, that was I, in my uh, uh, recollection, one of the issues with the show was like, because Atlantis itself, when it was fully charged, it was invincible. And you, mm-hmm. couldn't do, you couldn't really work with that from a story perspective because otherwise it would have just been left, you would have been left with the same note uh, that the ancients ended on 10,000 years ago where they were just under siege. Yep. You know, they had, exactly. you had to have yeah. some kind of story flexibility and to, to mm-hmm. go different mm-hmm. paths. Yeah. Suspicion. Uh, mm. Before, before I get to a couple of notes on home, suspicion is our real uh, uh, parting ways with the, with our first friends in the, Pe- in the Pegasus galaxy, the Athosians mm-hmm. and testing their honor and testing Taylor's honor. Now, in the pilot episode, the necklace that Shepard picked up, was that a deliberate carryover into uh, Suspicion, that, that story thread? Or was it, oh, we can use this in, in the pilots uh, as something that we can use later on? I think it was more the latter, to be honest with you. Okay. And we kind of layered in. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it happens so often that... Um, you know, you'll introduce certain elements that kind of slot in nicely in uh, in later episodes, whether sub- sub- subconsciously mm. uh, or not. It just kind of works out. Okay. Which of these characters before we before we move into the season mm-hmm. uh, were the hardest for you to uh, write for in retrospect? Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hardest to write for. I, mean, I can tell you the easiest to write for was obviously Rodney, <laughs> and uh, I mean the writers loved writing for Rodney. He's the comic relief, and even though you know he spewed the, uh, the, the gobbledygook, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he he was, you know, he was just kind of a blast to write for, and all the writers gravitate towards him. Um, Shepard. 
probably comes in second just because, you know, he's he's in many ways very similar to uh, O'Neill. Mm-hmm. His, uh, in his sarcasm. And that was, uh, yeah, that's, that was always fun. Was sarcasm uh, a mandatory agree- uh, uh, ingredient in him when you started? The irreverence? Yes, had to yes, continue the absolutely. It was written into the character. And I, that's something that Brad and Robert were, were looking for in, in whoever auditioned, the ability to kind of deliver that. And I think that's why, what you know, Joe especially liked about the character is that, you know, he was he was obviously the lead and yet and he was serious. He had a t- the other time he had that kind of that sense of humor that, uh, you know, enamored him to the uh, to the fan base. Mm. When I was going back, I, I put little quotes from each of the characters, um, mm. things that stand out that they said that really, you know, drive a message home or something like that. And when I've, I've, I'm going to be honest, when I've had Rachel mm-hmm. on, I go mm-hmm. in and I try to find dialogue from Taylor that's not just servicing the story. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, something that's pointed that everyone says, that's a Taylor line. And mm-hmm. I have a really hard time. They're, they're there, but I have a really mm-hmm. hard time finding them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as kind of the alien outsider, she was a little tougher to write for. Okay. I mean, um, and outsiders are often difficult to write for unless they come from a place of humor. Like on Dark Matter, the android was was kind of the outsider to the human world, which was a blast to write for because it was that sense of humor. Uh, whereas with Tila, it was a bit tougher because, I mean, you, you compare her to Ronan. Even mm-hmm. Ronan was a lot easier to write for because he had that kind of that 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 humor, that kind of fish out of water, that little irreverence. Whereas the Taylor character was a bit more serious, mm-hmm. and uh, and so, you know, I, 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 as a, as an alien, you know, aliens tend to speak a little more formally. So, I, in that respect, yeah, I, I, I would say maybe her character is a little more of a challenge to uh, to write for. Did that? Uh reveal itself in the number of stories that she got where did you find yourself having to get slightly more creative with that character in order to come up with something interesting not really i mean okay. we, i think we, we tried to give each of the characters because they're spotlight episodes i think suspicion was mm-hmm. in many ways a, a, a taylor episode and um you know more often than not of course like uh, uh rodney and, and 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 john got a lot of the the uh, lion's share of the episodes because they were kind of more the leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we always try to to find stories for each of the characters in, in a way that kind of shed light on their backstories or, or, or you know, who they were. Rainbow Sun Franks is in season one of the show. Mm. Um, and he has been very public about saying that uh, season two was really his meat where he, he actually had... Uh, had, you know, an ongoing story. Um, Mm -hmm. In season one, uh, was it difficult finding a place for him? And, you know, so much of it is... Go ahead. Yeah. No, to be honest with you, I think the first season, there's so many growing pains and you're trying to establish the world. You're trying to establish the series. And... You know, sometimes it's a little more difficult to focus on those character stories. I mean, I, I, I would have to go through season one and compare it to, to the ensuing seasons. But like my, my instinct is that season one 
was comprised of less individual stories mm. and more, I would say, group stories as, as really the focus was on the, uh, the city of Atlantis, the expedition, uh, the mythology, um, and just kind of the world of Stargate. Mm. Um, and so just you, you kind of establish the, uh, the foundation and then from there you move on and, and, and tell the stories. But I mean, we, you know, we, we, like I said, we always kind of try to um, uh, service each of the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, I remember uh, uh, Rainbow, when he, he did his audition, he, he had an audition and he wore this hat in the audition and all everybody was, could fixate on was that hat. And so we were like, before we send your audition to the network, why don't you try the audition without the hat? And he did. And he was amazing. And, and you know, I think he is terrific. Um, you know, but in, in the case of season one, you know, I, I don't disagree with him that, like, he, that his, his character didn't really get a, uh, an arc, if you will, until season two. But then I'm trying to think of what characters did get an arc in that first season. Beckett was... A sleeper. I mean, Paul McGillian, you know, was in a majority of those episodes. There was something that I mean, maybe the stories required a, a, a doctor. You know that that is certainly the case that that happens. But there's something about that Scottish character that was just magnetic, and the fans yeah. felt it too. Well, I mean, that was almost all Paul McGillian. Mm-hmm. When the character was created, he was really a secondary character. Mm-hmm. And then Paul just popped on screen. And like Rodney, we like to write for the character. And, and, and Paul could always deliver. And, and the fans loved his, his, his performance, the on, the online, his, his, his chemistry with especially Rodney. And so kind of as, as, as the show went on, this originally, this is this this envisioned minor character became kind of came into his own this softy that everyone adored you know yeah everyone was like yeah. i i see myself in that guy you know yeah, yeah. even one of one of my favorite one of my favorite beats of the entire character and this isn't even in the season but it's just coming to mind and i want to make sure that we mm-hmm. hit it is uh uh in in duet the the mm-hmm. dart crashes and mm-hmm. the shield uh, over the canopy goes down and he, he makes eye contact with the wraith and his gun goes down because his instinct is to help. That's mm-hmm. who he is. He wants mm-hmm. to heal his enemy. And mm-hmm. it's just the character just always seemed to fire on all cylinders. Yep. Yep. It just worked. Paul McGillian. Paul McGillian. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I'm, a, I'm a big Paul fan. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. The uh, Ben Cotton, you had Ben Cotton in a couple episodes yes, in season one. Yes. Another brilliant actor, Kavanaugh. He was a great character and a great foil for uh, really everyone, especially, uh, I guess, weird to a certain extent. Um, and yeah, Ben Cotton is, is, is very strong. Absolutely. I would have loved to have seen more of him. And I yeah. was delighted yeah. when you brought him back in the finale for just like one, one last yeah. go around. Yeah. That was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think it's, you're not Star Trek. You can have uh, uh, conflicts between between the characters, different ideologies, yep. different approaches. And he was one where it was like, you know, you really need to watch your back. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, you never know what this guy could do. Yeah. And would we well, actually we, carry out her threat of putting him off yeah. on a distant planet? We, we've all worked with people like, like him. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. We... <sighs> Donna Davis hmm. came back in Home. Uh, yeah. This is his, I think his only Atlantis appearance. Uh, it was just a great nod to uh, all of his time on SG-1, getting to see mm -hmm. that character uh, in Atlantis, even if it's just for, like, an expository or, like, service role of, you know, we have yeah. to have the general on the base that everyone reports to. Mm -hmm. It was so good seeing Don uh, in, yeah. in that episode. Uh, any chance, it seemed like any chance you guys uh, had to, to use Hammond, Don was always up for that. Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe there were a few times you couldn't get him, but I, I was curious to know about that. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think back to my time on Stargate and, 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 you know, I got along with most everyone. Uh, and, but in terms of like true friends that I've made that like, I would, you know, go out for dinner with and, and Don was one and, and Bob Picardo is another one. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, ha I always had a lot of respect for Don and he had great respect for the franchise mm. and uh especially brad and robert and was always kind of very appreciative of of uh the big break they gave him and he loved playing hammond and and you know really the opportunity to have him back was just too too good to uh to to pass pass up and of course i mean you know you reach out you reached out to don and and he was always more than happy to uh to to come on by and you know return and and play Absolutely. Ham There's just something about Hammond that works. And everyone yeah. has all, everyone has always loved uh, uh, that character and, and with good mm -hmm. reason. With this season, as with uh, SG-1 season one, the bad guys are coming. That's kind of like yeah. the setup near, near the end of, of the first season. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, it works itself towards um, our primary foe is coming to get us. We have to um, overcome that threat. And much like uh, season one and the beginning of season two of SG-1, season one and the beginning of uh, season two of Atlantis really was a uh, four-parter with mm -hmm. the start of Letters from Pegasus. Tell us about going into that final stretch for the season. Um, I mean, it was exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, this one actually was one, one of my favorite episodes of uh of uh, the first season and in terms of, and and also just in general in terms of uh the entire uh um show and uh you know i i always loved the epic uh two-parters i think it was a three-parter basically i think it's one and two and then we we finish up with uh um with um uh siege, siege three. three yeah uh but this was an interesting episode um the the Colonel Everett was it? Was uh, Everett comes in into Siege Two. Yes, I, I want to focus yeah. on letter from letter oh, from see. Pegasus first, if you don't mind. You have okay. Oh, you sure. have the the handy cam, the the letters home, which is kind of like the framing of the storytelling device. Yeah, the framing of the storytelling, and then you have Shepard and Taylor on a mission to save uh, some of her friends from a, a planet who is in the direct path of of the Wraith hives to Atlantis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was one of those episodes where I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's 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 one step removed from a uh, a clip show. Yes, we're heading towards a big uh, season finale, and uh, you need to save money for the visual effects. And so we yep. did this episode was was a little quieter and and uh, and had a little more to do with uh, 
um, uh, you know, our characters and, and it, it was a nice episode and, and, and Carl Binder always uh, excelled at these types of episodes. Um, but I mean, in terms of excerpts, when, when, when the writing's credits say excerpts, all that means is, is they're referencing an episode okay. that I've, I've seen that I wrote um, in the past. So um, really, uh, this episode is a Carl it's Binder. It's a Carl story. story. Yeah. Understood. Very good. Uh, before I, I go on to Siege 2, uh, Tori Higginson yes. took the role from, took is the wrong word, uh, uh, received the role. Okay. Tori Higginson got Jessica Steen's original role of Elizabeth Weir uh, in, in, in Lost City. And then we go into New Order and Rising, and it's, it's now um, Tori. What was that like watching a civilian uh, take over a a military team in another galaxy? What what was it like watching Tori bring uh, Elizabeth Weir to life? Um, Tori's amazing. I mean, she 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 just you know we we I remember actually the, that when we were looking to cast. We went out and we were considering some big name actresses mm-hmm. for the role, and they were in discussion with some big name actresses. And we looked at Tori, and she has such a, um, I guess, an empathy mm-hmm. her performance uh, that I mean, she she perfectly embodies kind of the civilian uh, facet of, of the expedition. It was kind of very interesting too to write for a character who was really almost kind of diametrically opposed to the command structure that we had been writing for on SG-1. Okay. So, um, I mean, it was interesting. It was a challenge. I think the biggest challenge, though, for writing for for the Weir character was the fact that she remained in the city while the team went out. And, right. and had their adventures. I mean, in, in the case of Hammond and Landry in SG-1, they were truly supporting characters. Mm-hmm. She's second biller. Where, 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 yes, exactly. So you, you really wanted to give that character her due. And just because Tori's so amazing, you want, you, you, so you want to make you know, efficient use or great use of her, of her, of her character and her performance. But sometimes that was just kind of a challenge in that the story would, would really be, it would be an off world focused story. Right. So, you know, how, how does, does, does the weird character kind of fit into the mix? And, and, and I mean, there were, we, we went through this like a number of ways and there were, there were some instances where she was involved in negotiations like with, with Gen I and in, in, in future episodes. Um, but um, that was, kind of for us always a bit of a challenge yeah she is a, uh an administrator you know if she's mm-hmm. if she's off um uh having adventures with the team she's not administrating <laughs> so right. you know i think that it gets back to um kind of the larger point that i was kind of trying to tap into which is with with uh with ford and some of the others in some cases, it I can't imagine it does it 
let me let me start over. Let me. What I'm trying to say is, when you create a character, you have mm-hmm. the expertise of that character. For instance, Ford is a weapons expert. Mm-hmm. If the character does not service the stories that are created, there's only so much that the actor can do, regardless of how good the actor is, yep. because the actor doesn't have a chance to because the character doesn't have much utility in the stories that are created. And so yeah, at a exactly. certain point it's like yeah. do we continue this or do we some do we alter the character like transform them in such a way where they are compatible or do we try something else? You know, and I think with with Ford and I, I with 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 Weir perhaps this was the same way at a certain point, you know, we we wanted to go in a different in a different direction. Um you you have to make those decisions as 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 yeah. creators. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's exactly it. it it all comes down to the script, like you said, and 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 the stories that service the overall arc and and I guess thrust of the series, and and yeah, I mean, when we came up with kind of that that storyline for for four, that was kind of interesting. I mean, it's always interesting to have characters go dark side, mm-hmm. um, and I know so the actors loved to 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 play the dark side characters. So that was kind of an interesting story, but I mean, of course in doing that it creates kind of a more interesting storyline for the character but at the same time it it, it detaches them mm-hmm. from uh the kind of the this the, kind of this the um home base mm-hmm. of uh of of atlantis you're burning through their fuel tank a lot faster too depending on the nature of the storyline and where it's going right. to go you know because right. once at a certain point you know Ford blows up with the Wraith ship. Unless something shouts yeah. Ford later on in the development of the stories that you're doing, you know, you have to have a good excuse to bring the character back because, it, again, it comes down to the character's utility. Yep, so. exactly. The Siege Part 2, yes. uh, which actually has one of the better Ford moments, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. taking over one of the railguns. Yeah. Uh, a visual effects extravaganza mm-hmm. and a, a good character beats as well while you, we've... Uh, where they're dealing with, you know, this this imminent threat, um, the the storylines that you have that you have uh, engaged in throughout that season, and little character beats between one and the other, uh, really come to fruition in this episode mm-hmm. when we are under attack. Bringing, tell us about bringing the siege two to life. Yeah, I mean, I love writing the finales in that it allows us to dovetail all those storylines and 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 arcs that you've been uh nurturing over the course of the season and sort of like juggling mm-hmm. to a certain extent you know i mean and and you want to have all the balls in the air at the same time and you want and you want everything to pay off nicely uh so you know i i, I look back on i mean, in fact I, there was one point where I, I looked back at all the finales i had done and they uh, they all kind of kind of very similar thematically. If I look at like um, uh, 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 was it Camelot and 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 mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, anyways, I, I, I just there's there's that kind of all hope seems lost moment mm-hmm. at the end, which I always love working towards, and then you know having to find a way to to uh, to to work out of. When you come back next season. One of the things that I noticed about SG-1, and I want to know if it's deliberate or if there was just it was just happened. 
with when you would watch Next Generation or some of these other sci-fi shows, if there was a cliffhanger, it would say to be continued on the mm-hmm. end of it. And often case it was the case with with SG one and Atlantis that we I mean, everything gets shot to hell, it closes, and then just executive producers. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious decision to leave people with slightly less hope, saying that it will be continued, knowing that it's going to be I, continued, and I just think, say executive producers, it's over. Hopefully you'll hopefully no. You'll see. I mean there there, there is that kind of initial instinctive reaction to that's it, that's the end. But I mean, you give the audience the benefit of the doubt uh, to, to know that next episode will pick up this, this storyline. It, it'll be a continuation. Uh, except in the case of time, which is like another question I keep on getting asked online. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about that episode when we, when we come in to In due it. course. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't a conscious decision not to put to be continued. You just felt it, that... It, you know, no, yeah, it was like a conscious decision. Okay. It, it just to be honest with you, uh, you know, I, I, again, it was it was a Brad and and Wright, uh, a Brad Brad Wright or Robert Cooper decision. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it, to be continued is kind of silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. to be continued, why not to be continued next episode? Uh, you know, so on, so on. Uh, it just you know, you know, if that's the way it ends, it's going to start off. Uh, you know, you're going to pick it up and pay it off in the next episode. Or like the end of a Marvel movie, Spider-Man will return in Avengers yeah. Endgame yeah. or something like that, you know. So you got to give the little kids yeah. some hope. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the use of characters like the Janai, you know, you, mm-hmm. we introduced these, these um, wild card characters in season one. Uh, early on, we don't know if we're going to be able to to uh, form a relationship with them. And then by the end, Weird just basically throws herself into her her head into the lion's mouth to get a, a pair of nuclear bombs. And the in the the outside hope that uh, they'll be able to arm themselves. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was your thoughts? What were your thoughts on the effectiveness of the Jedi as a as a uh, as a foe I, as allies? I love. Uh, the frenemy uh, <laughs> setup, so to speak. Um, I love the kind of the rogue players, the 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 individuals or groups that you can't trust, who um, mm. you know are antagonists in 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 one episode, and then later on the line maybe prove to be unlikely allies. I mean, from an individual character standpoint. Rodney McKay mm. um, was kind of an antagonist. I mean, he was. He was a kind of a jerk. Uh, and then we redeem him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character of Woolsey is another one who was kind of the representative of the IOA and who's a, uh, a, uh, a, a pencil pusher. And he still remained kind of a pencil, pencil pusher, but, you know, you got to know the, the character and you kind of redeem him a little. And, and kind of the same way, I mean, in terms of groups, it's a little... Uh, more challenging and, and still a little more interesting because those groups are made up of individuals. And so, um, was it Cole, Cole Meany? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was a great villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on the other hand, uh, you had Ryan Robbins, um, uh, is uh, laden. Yeah. Yeah. Who was I mean, not so villainous and, and, and someone that you could potentially trust up to a certain point. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I found the Jedi 
uh, endlessly interesting. And uh, you see sort about the Janai, but back in season four, when we when we when we um, uh, were working on the show, Rob Cooper came into my office and asked for some alien names for right. the, the episode. And, and I think, I think it was scorched earth. And he's like, no, he's like, I can't make up. He says, you know, the last alien race I, I name I made up was the Furlings Furlings. and I haven't heard the end of it. And so I came up with a list and, and Gadmir was the one that we used for the episode, but the Janai was I think number two on that list. And it wasn't until years later, like years later that we ended up, uh, using it for Atlantis. Well, you know, uh, uh, save all all notes and scraps of paper for one day. You may yeah. be glad you did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. How do you feel um, the performances of James Lafazanos and Andy Frizzell and the Wraith uh, uh, paid off? Do you think that um, you guys uh, achieved everything you wanted to with the Wraith early on? Uh, I would say yes. I mean, yeah. the, as perf- the performances were amazing. I mean, they were behind that. Uh, was it like latex uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, what, uh, those masks? A lot of KY and into gloves and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. And yet they were able to convey emotion, yeah. you know, and, and they were uh, they were brilliant. They were really brilliant. And so, you know, as, as villains, it's just kind of interesting you know, you introduce the villains and then as kind of the, especially in that first season to go on, you kind of tweak them. So in those first episodes, they were impossible to bring down, right? I mean, right. they would be shot they'd get dozens right back of up. time and yeah. they get back right right. Like the up. replicators did in their first episode yeah. too. You yeah. shoot them and they come back together. Yeah. And then their um, illusory uh, abilities was something that we introduced mm-hmm. and that, after a while that, you know, we kind of refine the, the enemy and, 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 uh, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, like the Jedi, they were kind of an interesting enemy, uh, in that they weren't evil, although they certainly looked downright creepy. Um, but it was interesting that the, there, there was a certain faction, faction of fandom who were huge supporters of the Wraith and were like, you know, they, uh, the humans uh, ended up waking them up, which is something that we bring up in a later episode. They're the ones who basically call the cause the issues. We caused they're, a lot of uh, our own issues. Yeah, Michael, yeah. for crying out loud. Yeah, they're, they're trespassing on their uh, on their feeding grounds. All their you know, it's just you know, like uh, you know, vegetarians get mad at meat eaters the same way you get mad at Wraith. They're just you know, they're 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 answering their biological needs for survival. Um, I always thought that was a bit extreme, but uh, <laughs> you know. And then, and then in later up ep- in the later episodes, we introduced the Todd character, which, right. which is also kind of interesting. We'll get to him in in, in uh, due course future. Yeah, but uh, I I I really like them as uh, as a villain. Um, I mean, the system lords were always my favorite, just because they they were as system lords very unique as individuals, whereas the. Yeah, the, the the wraith were more very much kind of a, a, a hive mentality, um, and yet as kind of a general villain, I like them. So I mean, I think I would go uh, gold wraith or I. All right, there you go. Yeah. That <laughs> for anyone who wants to know Joe's order, yeah, he just yes. said it. And you know the uh, 
the from a philosophical perspective, I just I had a long conversation with the the Stargate novelists who in the Legacy series, Atlantis novels. There's mm-hmm. eight, eight books now. They really dive into the wraith as a species, and so they spend some time going over what you just wrestled with, which is they didn't ask to be what they are. They are what mm-hmm. they are, and they they exist again because the ancients made them. You know, mm-hmm. either advertently or inadvertently, and they simply exist. And yep. the the novelists tapped into what I was very keen on thinking as well. You know, were, were we to revisit the wraith in that a solution to that species, were you to have had a season six, would not necessarily be to wipe them out, as was done with the Goa'uld and was done mm-hmm. with the replicators, because wiping them out, the wraith out, would have... Okay, we've already done that to a lot of our other enemies. We have to find mm-hmm. a creative means of declawing them or or not perhaps not changing their nature but sidestepping the issue because you can't make peace with this force. They mm-hmm. are what they are. Mm-hmm. And we do try in later seasons mm-hmm. to arrive at a solution, but it, you know, as you mentioned like in the case of Michael, you end up uh opening up a whole other can of worms. Absolutely. Every time I watch it, mm-hmm. was it Judgment? Was the episode Judgment or no? Or is it? Um, so let me see here. It's uh, the the trial episode in season five. Oh, um, what is its does name? It start, start with an I. Inquisition? No. Inquisition. Yeah. Is, is it, it Inquisition? Inquisition? I think so. Inquisition. Those, You're absolutely right. Rare, rare instances where I'll, I'll say something like, "I think the episode starts with a letter of the alphabet," and nine times out of ten, I'm wrong. <laughs> no, so you were is, right. Those, Inquisition. Yes. yes. I watched that episode, and it's like someone should. One of us really should have gone to prison for <laughs> what we released on the Pegasus Galaxy, yeah. and we get out because of because of Woolsey's uh, guile. Um, yes. You know, it's it's just an interesting approach to that. Yeah. Uh, but I have um, fond you know, memories of of that of watching that first season with friends, and mm-hmm. you know, really kicking off a, a brand new adventure. And you guys did yourselves proud. You you gave uh, uh, s- some real legs to the start of a show that was going to do another four years on television. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back, and I, I mean, I continue to be amazed at the fact that we would produce at that time. For the first season of of Atlantis, first time we produced forty hours of television, and and nowadays, you know, I don't know who ten hours is, is like a, a big yeah, you know, it's like a huge deal that will, will you know take a room months. If you had the chance to do it over again, would you? Or would be like yeah, hell absolutely. no, yeah, you no, would absolutely, oh yeah, absolutely, okay. yes. I can't yes. imagine the exhaustion, Joe. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think you get into a bit of a rhythm, you know, I, I mentioned when we're, uh, when we're talking about season 10 of SG one, how we would go off armed with our scripts and you try to get as many scripts possible before you go into production. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as the machine eats it up, you have to sort of stay ahead of the machine mm-hmm. and, and putting track in front myself. of the train. Yeah. 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 I pushed myself and ended up writing three episodes. Uh, again, I, I don't remember. I think Memento Mori, mm-hmm. uh, I forget what the other two were. Um, but you do it. You can do it. You just you, you know. Back back in the day, was I remember reading that, you know, the 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 idea of of, of uh, running a uh, a four minute mile was was unheard of, and then once someone did it, 
everybody started to do it. Right, so, exactly. You know, so <laughs> that's, that's what it kind of was like for us. I mean, we did it and then we did it again and we did it again. And, and, uh, and uh, I think uh, most, uh, most uh, uh, showrunners are kind of soft nowadays. I have to say it. They're kind of soft. They're having the luxury of their, uh, of their three or four month room so that they can, uh, you know, put the, uh, put the finishing touches on those, uh, those 10 scripts. I would argue, though, that there are fewer duds in, in shows when you have um, 10 episodes of, of a season. There is there is fewer opportunities for things to go wrong. Not to say that there were mm-hmm. there were things going wrong in your forty episodes, mm-hmm. but there is something to be said for television when you only have people can only produce a certain number of ideas per year, you mm-hmm. know, in their minds, regardless of the size of the team that you have. So if you're cutting down on the number of hours, the the excuses that you have to not put out the best of the best, get fewer and fewer. Yes, excuses I would agree with. Yet on the other hand, I think like we got used to producing 40 episodes of television uh, a year and making it work, I'm sure in many cases Mm. people get overly comfortable Mm. with uh, the, the time uh, a lot of them to produce 10 episodes of television. And, you know, I would argue the fact that a lot of those 10 episode runs are serialized Got it. makes a huge difference. Yeah, because it's more or less you, one everything is kind of, yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. Whereas if you're trying to come up with a single episode uh, or standalone episode, it theoretically should be easier in, you know, to come up with 10 as opposed to 20 or 40 uh and yet i gotta say i mean i uh i still think there's a lot of bad television being made oh unquestionably for sure yeah it just looks better you know? yeah it does <laughs> the it, visual it effects does. have improved it but does. i mean if it's still direct it's direct it's one of mm-hmm. the, the comments that I, I i forget who i was talking with about something um these some of these films that are like 250 million dollar movies you know uh you can you can make something look spectacular yeah it does not guarantee that it has any substance yeah so yes i have some fan questions for you about 12 is that okay yeah redux wants to know and we go from like specific to esoteric to kind of all mm-hmm. over the place and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, production oriented questions behind sure. behind the scenes questions i just want to throw at you and get your responses anyway redux wanted to know um so there is a there is a message with in font substitution from english to ancient mm-hmm. on the staircase in mm-hmm. the gatrium mm-hmm. um and it uh you know basically opens with for more or less a hearty welcome to those of other worlds, welcoming you mm-hmm. into our arms. Welcome back. Uh, who came up with the idea of having the welcome message? And was there any particular uh, meaning I, into it? Or was it the the production team decided to throw that up there? No, I think that was a production team. I think specifically that was Boyd. Okay. Boyd's uh, uh, last name. Worked in the, uh, in the art department. And I'm sure he ran it by Brad and Robert. And they were like, great and and so um it was kind of an easter egg for the for the for the fans boyd godfrey um yes yes boyd okay. yes um ancient alphabet all right yeah yeah i i just remember more than the writing on the stairs was that potted plant 
I like Brian was like, oh my God. I mean, after we shot. Can we get rid know, of the 10,000 year old scene. potted plants? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he gave uh, Weir that line. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You know, there'll be certain things that when they left the way that they weren't planning on coming back, you know, at least not right. for a long, very long time. So, eh, you know, we know that yeah. the ancient plants don't self water. So, yeah. <laughs> or they would have absolutely taken over Although the city. Although I have to say, for 10,000 years, old, uh, years right. old, that plant looked pretty good all right. the same. Those alien genes. You know, there yes. should have just been nothing but a pot. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Dust. A pot dust. of dust. Uh, what was the, Dan Dutton, the hardest episode from SG-1 to execute? From SG-1? From season one. I'm sorry. See, these, these don't even work. Yeah. From season one to execute. Oh, uh, Atlantis? Uh-huh. Yeah, it would have to be home, just from the script uh, standpoint. Like I said, the network hated it, and so we have to kept on coming back. And and uh, and uh, I remember actually Brad was on the phone with them, and he and he's like, "You got to come in and talk to the to the network." And I thought, you know, I, I I was like, "Oh, sure." And so we went in, and we had to argue the point. Then we made the changes, and then Brad took over the script and made some changes. He included that the scene, the moment where where uh, Shepard shoots. Mm. Uh, you know the other character, and uh, that 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 you know every once in a while, it was like Atlantis had more of those incidents than than any other. Uh, Atlantis was more uh, either SG one and 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 mm. well, I mean I think SG one had like a similar amount of action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's only one episode of SG one that that I, that we were really spinning our wheels off, and then we just kind of threw our hands up and handed it to uh, to Rob and. And, uh, oh, we can't leave it at that, my friend. That. What was that? What was it? I, I remember the, 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 I always used to make up these ridiculous placeholder t- titles. And, and the placeholder title was Fools Go Old. And what was the episode where they end up stranded um, with uh, Apophis' ship? Enemies? Was it enemies? They're stranded. They're stranded across the universe. Yeah. Yeah, was it the interview before? Anyways, we were writing the script, and Rob kept on giving the note. No, you have to move move up this action into the script, and so and so we're like, okay. And we sat down to write it, and we're like, it doesn't make sense. And he's like, no, 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 you have to do it. it, it it's and and we're like, it doesn't work. It was what is one of the? I remember it. I remember being, uh, what's the word? Really annoyed. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was one of those instances where this isn't working, and Paul and I were banging our heads trying to make it work. Yeah, you're and not then we reached the it. point. Yeah. And we're like, we can't do this. Like, yeah. you know what you want to do. It's all yours. And so he took it over, he wrote it, and then he realized he couldn't do it and went back to sort of what we had done originally. So, oh. I, I, again, yeah. As an editor, I encounter that with people mm-hmm. who are like, I want this. And I'm like, it's not working. They're like, yeah. well, do it anyway. And I do it. And they're like, yeah, okay, you were right. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. have to go through that process uh, and yeah. do what you can, you know. And yeah. sometimes you just have to show even Robert C. Cooper that, hey, you yeah. know what? Yeah. Do your best. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, again, uh, if, if there's one episode I have uh, not great memory, memories of. It's uh, it's home. The, the script writing process. I mean, the episode was ultimately a lot of fun, and I actually loved, like I said, the kind of the twists and turns and little subtle hints we put in. With, with I think it was uh, 
wears jewelry, right. you know, what she was wearing, what she had, what she did, you know, didn't have in other episodes. And then you can go back and kind of, you know, I love putting those little subtle hints that you missed the first time. And then you rewatch the episode. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, there it is. How much influence did the network have to stories? I mean, I imagine most of this is all politics. We'll give you a little on this one later on. We expect, you know, a little, a little uh, ease on a script later. How much yeah, really did they, they they have, or could you have guys say no? We're just be all like you know, um, well, Larry Brad, David Brad, about it. No, we're, I'm not cooperating. I'll be honest with you. I mean, Brad and Robert sometimes had some real uh, rows with the yeah. uh, with the network executive. I mean, you, you it's a collaboration, okay. right? So you 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 do your best to uh, address the notes, and and Paul would always say, you know, don't say no on on the call, but. You know, my instinct when I get the notes is like, we can't do this. And he will, Paul would always look for the spirit of the note. I mean, why are they giving this note? What are they looking for? You know, instead of addressing it in the way that they're requesting, Mm -hmm. maybe there's another way that makes sense. Um, So, I mean, you know, we we had our, our battles uh, I think Brad and Robert really, I mean, you know, ran point on that and they had like the biggest battle. I remember actually one episode where Paul and I were on, on with the network and I think it was a tower and they did not like the tower and uh, we were going back and forth and uh, the uh, call abruptly ended. They were like, we don't accept this episode. And we we're like, well, fine. Yeah, and, at and, a certain point. That. Yeah. I remember... Uh... This is kind of a little off topic, but it, it's it's kind of oh, it's not off topic, but it's not with your show. But it, it reigns true to my, the same spirit of feeling. I was watching the 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 last Fracken special for Battlestar Galactica, and they had brought in some of the network executives in mm-hmm. for the show. And one of the network was, executives was saying, you know, for Battlestar, I really wanted, I really wanted a puppy. And I'm th- and I'm sitting there going, are you crazy? Are you? I know that. It's funny you should mention that because, because why? Because that executive visited the Stargate offices and said the same thing. She's like, "I would love to have a puppy on the show." And I remember all of us looking like, "What?" Yeah, I mean, Sedgwick makes sense. I was a proponent Mm -hmm. of bringing Sedgwick on the Daedalus, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. because that makes sense. That Atlanta should have a dog. But that's inside the story itself. But, I mean, if you're just looking for, like, okay, on the spreadsheet here, we need to dial up some cuteness for this for this particular – it was just mm. – it was so bizarre. And, you know, I think of that kind of thing when you're talking with the networks. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, th- how much of their pound of flesh do they actually get? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. You got to do what you can, man. And I – Yeah, I mean, there, there was always uh, – honestly, there was always the challenge from the script stage where yeah. you would – you know, come and, and sometimes the notes would be great. I mean, don't get me I'm wrong. Sure. There, there yeah. were always like a lot of great notes, but that sometimes they, you know, you would kind of be at cross purposes and, yeah. and, and it would just be a, a, a challenge. Yeah. And I like Paul's approach. What's the spirit mm-hmm. of what's trying to be done here? Yeah. Because if, if everyone is in tune to the spirit of what's trying to be done, certainly yeah. you can compromise somewhere. Yeah. You know, Blas wants to know, I think it's, I'm pronouncing that right. Blas, Blas. Uh, and this is an issue that I, as a fan of Star Wars, always have. Mm-hmm. How come the ancients in Atlantis didn't appear to have any major technological evolution over this over the multi millions of years? 
uh, until they went back to Earth just 10,000 years ago. There's a quality of, you know, you're, you're literally dealing with, with eons of time. How realistic is it to, to put in a technological evolution? And at a certain point, does a race become technologically stagnant and just exist at a certain level? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it, it it's a valid point. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it, it's, it's a question that I would ask you to add, ask Robert, okay. because he is steeped in the mythology yeah. of the ancients. And I, I've been uh, fairly vocal about my, uh, what's the word? Um dislike mm-hmm. for the ancients and their ancient their esoteric uh backstories so <laughs> they're a plot I'm more device of a, i'm more of a, a, a again i'm more of a sci-fi guy mm-hmm. and and i found the the i say esoteric but they they really feel more like fantasy to me and there's almost like a spiritual aspect right uh to them that i kind of find off-putting which is why i just would always uh kind of almost tune out when when I, we would have to kind of like uh, uh, address them. This came up in my mind the last time that you brought that up. And I do think that your point is valid on a lot of levels. I do wonder, though, Joe, um, do you think that there is no place for metaphysics in science fiction? No, no. Uh, I'm just saying I don't want to write it. <laughs> okay, that's mm-hmm. fair. Absolutely. No, I mean, no, to be honest with you, I mean, like, like, the ancients, certainly, they absolutely do have a place, you know, in Stargate, and a huge place. And and Rob wrapped his head about uh, around it and wrote some wonderful scripts related to the ancients. I personally, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, ask me to write, uh, um, you know, an hour of a hospital drama. Right. Uh, I guess I could, your you know, I could do it, but uh, I certainly wouldn't be having any right. fun doing so. And I mean, you have to ask yourself, how many times did you have the the opening of the story as Atlantis ke- team comes upon abandoned alien, abandoned ancient tech? You know, mm-hmm. it was the mechanism to get to a larger story. You know, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. ancients were, were the worst garbage leavers <laughs> throughout the universe, yeah. you know, and they all had their own goals and everything else. I'm like... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was reading it online the other day. Someone was saying, uh, you know, uh, do you think that the later gate networks uh, had uh, the ability to connect to destiny? And I'm like, do you really think with as many uh, uh, separate tangential ideas as all those different ancient scientists had <laughs> that they would have even considered connecting to destiny later? Mm-hmm. They were on to the next thousandth project, you know? Yeah. yeah. Screw destiny. <laughs> that guy lived... 5,000 years ago. We're not interested in what his approach was. Uh, I'm sorry. I appreciate you letting me ramble. Jennifer Jensen. First off, love Atlantis. In mm. season one of SGA, we see more super... And you, you touched on this. We see some more uh, uh, supernatural powers of the race getting into people's minds. Mm. And T- Taylor being able to create fire with her mind. Um, and this appears to fade as a more prominent feature. And she says, from my memory, I know there's an instance when Michael gets into Taylor's mind to release him from his bindings. And in the, but in the later season, um, there's there's less and less utility of this. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about why we don't see more of this throughout the seasons, particularly with Taylor? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's another case of an element that 
doesn't serve the story or really doesn't serve the story uh, as effectively as originally envisioned and at times kind of gets in the way of the story. Like in my mind, for instance, you know, we talked about the bullets and the, and the fact that it took more bullets to take down the Wraith in those initial uh, encounters than it did in later encounters. And my thinking is, oh, they realize and they, be, and they switch to whatever armor piercing right. rounds. Um, That's a fair point. Kind of yeah, the we same don't know what's way, Yeah. And, and I think the Wraith, perhaps realize that we were on to their uh, uh, to their tricks mm-hmm. and so made uh, less use of them. Yeah. I mean, I would have, I would have contacted earth in that first initial message and say, bring knives, bring swords, we need to cut <laughs> off their, we need to cut off their hands and then they can't feed anymore. Problem solved. <laughs> Goran Andonowski, was Robert Patrick considered for more episodes and more time in the show besides the pilots once you knew what you got? Uh, no, okay. absolutely not. You know, uh, Brad and Robert had written that two-parter with, you know, having – with a plan to kill off the character, okay. to set up the character and kind of do a, a, uh, a misdirect where, you know, you announce – Robert Patrick's going to be in the new Stargate series, and everybody's obviously going to think oh, Robert Patrick's uh, going to be the lead of the new Stargate series. And then, when he gets killed off, surprisingly, at the end of uh, his episode, uh, at the end of the two-parter, then you, uh, you know, you we kind of move on. So no, there was never any any plan. I mean, there are those rare occasions where where someone um, you write a script where the character dies, but they're so good that you think, oh my, that we've got to find a way to bring them back. And, mm. and because it's sci-fi, you do. Um, but, uh, you know, in the case of uh, of uh, the Robert Patrick character, the plan was always to kill him off. It wouldn't have been interesting, though. I mean, if, if Atlantis were made today to have Shepard as more of a prodigy and to, to build the show as having, you know, Robert Patrick in it, and then mm-hmm. to have the twist be that, no, the... The, the the prodigal son you know is uh, mm-hmm. the the mentor the mentee is going to rise up and actually be the one to 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 exist in his mentor's footsteps it would be interesting spin-off <laughs> there we go yeah. and also Goran wanted to know was Calmini your first choice for Cowan I believe he was yeah okay I mean when you get a caliber of that kind of an actor yeah. man oh yeah. man uh, Lisa M, I liked the storylines of Atlantis and challenges that the Atlantis team had to face. However, in my point of view, it often felt like a one-man show because it was Shepard who was frequently uh, uh, saving the day. Um, I got that he was the leading character, but I would have liked a more balanced approach. What is Joe's opinion of this? Does he agree? Does he disagree? Um, again, I mean, my mind, my memory's kind of hazy that first episode, but I, I feel as though, certainly in later episodes, you could kind of chalk that up to Rodney mm-hmm. being the guy, the one who kind of steps in and, and, and saves the day. So maybe in that first season, it was a bit more Shepard who leaned, uh, you know, on Shepard a little more in terms of being mm-hmm. kind of the hero. In much the same way, kind of we set up, you know, th- th- there was that dynamic on SG-1 in the early goings where, where O'Neill was a hero. And yet... Um, I guess SG-1 was very different because Teal'c had his own storyline to deal mm-hmm. with in a way that, that you know, the Atlantis characters didn't. And and Carter really stood uh, on her own and she was like a, a sort of a, a, a counterpart. It was, it, it was really, I mean, 
um, O'Neill, Daniel, and Carter. And, and Teal was important too, but he was kind of like, you know, his kind of separate uh, storyline. But but those three characters were all very very equally, I, I think, equally strong. Even though mm-hmm. it was you know, uh, uh, Richard Dean Anderson in Stargate SG One. But in in uh, in Atlantis, it was really more at the beginning, certainly Shepard and the other characters, and then as as time went on, Rodney came to the fore. Mm-hmm. I think that, to be perfectly honest, in SG One, the 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 characters have their own separate utility in different scenes, whereas a lot mm-hmm. of times in Atlantis, Shepard is goading Rodney to solve a problem, and 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 Taylor and Ronan and Shepard are are you know, standing guard while Rodney's working, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a banter quality between all of them. That's actually the thing that's engaging to watch in that particular yeah. instance. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's just a different group. Yeah. And, and like you said, they have like a certain utility. Um, you know, it, it's hard when you're dealing with like outsiders, mm-hmm. uh, like Teal, whose story is rooted in the, the Jaffa and who's not from earth. And is not from the SGC. And it's kind of much the same way that, uh, uh, Taylor was not from originally from the Atlantic expedition, but it, it you know, her backstory allows us mm. to tell stories that uh, we wouldn't be able to tell with our with you know our the the regular um, uh, you know Earth Earthern right. human uh, group. That's fair. Teresa MC, were there ever plans to put Shepard and Taylor together, even briefly in a romantic storyline? or Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have worked uh, with her on his team. We see allusions to this in, like, the the dream sequence. You know, it's it's one of those instances, the the shippers versus Uh non-shippers was was something that, uh, you know, uh, existed on SG-1 and uh, existed on Atlantis. And it's something we did toy with. Uh, And then uh, Rachel got pregnant. Right, and we were like, "Ah, oh, what is can it? We shepherds? Do it? And, is it? Well, there was, there was there was one for like a half second. We thought consideration it be shepherds, baby. Yeah, and then I think I remember it was Paul who was like, "There's no way it can be shepherds, baby." Why so not? Uh, just from an honor um, perspective, you know, from I guess him as a team so. Member? From an honor, yes, yes, okay. I think that was that was the uh, that was the issue, and so by not making it shepherds' uh, child, we. That pretty much killed the the potential kind of relationship between uh, between the two of them. I just wish that there would had had been some kind of way to get more mileage out of the Taylor Kanan relationship. We see him for one mm-hmm. scene, you know, after yeah. he's restored, and I just yeah. wish that there had been you know a way to get more more out of that in terms of the story. But again, it's the stories that you want to tell and what's available. Yeah, you know, it's always the case. Sometimes, like you have a friend, uh, and they end up getting together or marrying someone and you're always like, man, they can do so much better. What is going on? What, 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 man, what, I hear what that. do they, what do they don't know? And, and Kanan was like a perfectly nice guy, I'm sure. And, right. you know, I'm That's sure the- there was, there was a side of him that we never got to know, but you know, on kind of the surface, you think Taylor could have done kind of <laughs> in hindsight, would you have hooked Shepard up with someone by before it was all said and done? Or do you think he's more of a lone wolf? It was, Shepard's greatest wish, uh, uh, Joe Flanagan's greatest wish to be able to do uh, a little more kirking, okay. uh, shall we say. <laughs> he 
did get no. plenty of kirking. Yeah, well, not enough. <laughs> you don't think so? Not enough. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he. I, I remember he did pitch sort of maybe bringing on another character as a kind of a supporting character. Um, and the Jewel Wagner character from Travelers mm-hmm. was, uh, yeah, was initially introduced to sort of um, potentially fill that role. And but I mean, it was just one episode, and then she went off and got wiped out. And yeah, she was unavailable. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. I think that there could have been something there. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's uh, Shepard is such a guarded character, um, and you know, there's there's a part of him that's still, I think, in Antarctica. You know, basically scrubbing toilets, as it were, you know, after what he mm-hmm. did in Afghanistan. And I think a, a domestic kind of shepherd would have been interesting to see in terms of how it would have changed any of his characterization when he was on the battlefield. Something yeah. I always yeah. felt that he had something to fight for back in Atlantis, but I'm talking like something to fight for, like someone mm-hmm. to fight for would have been interesting. Yeah, I agree. What was uh, Spina Breaker, the greatest challenge from the Wraith point of view in writing them? Was it the hive mentality? Was it getting inside their heads? The novelists had had an interesting uh, approach to this as well when they were writing the Wraith, because they had to actually label them. It was the only way to actually make the novels work. No, I, I think yeah, I, I think the the biggest challenge was the fact that um, really until Todd and and I guess to a certain extent Michael came along, uh, they weren't as distinct. Mm as individuals mm-hmm. as let's say the system lords which is what i loved about the system lords is they were all very colorful they're very right. unique they deliberately um, they went were to set very each other much apart. kind of like yeah they were kind of a hive and it's just kind of tough to give a villain personality and you love to give a, your villains personality right um so that i think was the biggest challenge for when it came to writing the wraith at least in the early going okay that's fair steffer's tune although the wraith are this horrifying enemy the palette for the city of atlantis was lighter than Mm -hmm. a base buried in cheyenne mountain was that a conscious choice to set a different tone for the show compared to sg1 from the beginning yeah absolutely no moss i I mean (laughs) yeah no it it absolutely was uh, a conscious decision to give it a uh obviously more kind of aquatic feel kind of the 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 blues uh are, are all over that place and and that's something I, you know I know Brad and, and Robert can specifically speak to because when they were designing that set they were very involved mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm sure sort of again that aquatic theme ran throughout uh, the kind of the early going the early con- con- conception of uh, of uh, the Atlantis the theory of Atlantis three more two two relating to Atlantis and one one to you specifically Carlos Takeshi season one introduced many things that would become critical recurring elements the Hoffman drug the Jedi Taylor's connection with the Wraith mm-hmm. uh, was there anything you wanted to include in those early episodes the early going or did include that didn't end up working like you had hoped or were any of those recurring recurring elements from season one bigger deals than had originally intended um, I look back and no, there were no stories that I remember pitching that, that, uh, that were turned down. I mean, very much in that first season, the show was finding its, its, its footing. So, mm. um, you know, I, I, I look back and I, I think as the series progresses, especially in the, in the late goings of that, that first season, I think it really comes into its own. Um, I think, I think the, the, the first, I think, uh, two or three episodes are like really strong. And then the middle of that first season, 
I think is probably the roughest go of, of the series as okay. a whole. With like, in uh, my opinion. Okay. With the, the hurricane and everything else. Well, actually, no, actually, sorry. I, I think that mid season two part stands out amongst. Okay. Uh, so it basically starts strong you know, continues along. Then we get really strong with that mid-season two-parter. And then, then there's a dip. I mean, I mean, I mean, I look, I look at, you know, you mentioned, you know, there are certain stories that, you know, uh, work and, 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 and some that don't and, and, you know, hits and misses and, and there were misses in, in, in that first season. You can only, compared to- you can only produce so many rabbits from hats, you know? Right. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you have to go with something else. You know, yeah. not to say that you're giving up, but you know, you, you have to, I can't imagine the pressure that you guys were under every year. You know, you have to see what sticks. Yeah. Me anytime. Uh, the last Stargate related question. And this is one that I also assumed was going to be the case considering the Zat gun adoption in SG one and SG one. They adopted the Zats in Atlantis, the Wraith stunners when they become guns, when they become pistols mm-hmm. by the beginning mm-hmm. of season two, um, they weren't adopted. Thoughts on why this was? I was kind of always expecting that. Um, I guess from a sort of practical standpoint, I don't know if like the the, the wraith the the stunners actually, did they work on the wraith? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Or to those some effect? Well, mm-hmm. then we should have. I guess we should have. Yeah. The I mean, the one thing that I can think of is that Zat guns can kill, and the stunners can't. So mm-hmm. they only have. A, a, this seems to be the word of this episode. They only have so much utility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe right. that's, maybe that's the thing. But I I had always been under the assumption that yeah, well, you know, we we acquire the alien tech like the mandate was for for Stargate Command. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that would the Asuran stunners, and I've got one. Right over here. Uh, those were badass. Right. So I'd love to have seen that. And Joe, uh, Tracy wanted to know, and thank you for walking through uh, season one with us. This is, as always, every episode is fantastic to engage with you on this level. Tracy wanted to know, um, you've been tweeting some interesting teasers. Is there something your fans should be aware of? Is there an upcoming project coming to fruition soon that will be um, uh, perhaps on the air I- soon? I think I think you're probably, this is probably a reference to the Stargate uh, concept art and uh, oh. and videos I'd be posting okay. uh, every day. Uh, no, I mean that okay. I, I I have nothing to do with developing the new show. That is all Brad, uh, and hopefully we'll be seeing a new Brad Wright series sooner than later. Uh, I'm just to be honest with you, I don't even know what I have on my on my laptop. I, I, I did <laughs> a search for concept. And I came up with a file folder I didn't even know existed, or two file folders, one labeled SU1, one labeled Atlantis. And the uh, and and they're broken down into seasons. And go. so I, I'm working my way. I think I'm, I'm, I'm near the end of season two. And I, I post one piece of concept art uh, on Twitter and on Reddit uh, every every day. And then usually like I'll post like a season's worth on my blog every every week or so. Um, and in the meantime, I've also, I did a search for like, uh, MOV files, mm-hmm. which I have in play. Um, and, and, uh, and I transferred them to MP4s and I'll, I'll find the most amazing stuff like, uh, schematics, um, um, kind of like, uh, um, not, uh, ND graphics and, and, uh, from, from, from the shows and I've been posting those as well. Um, no meaning behind it. The usual. I mean, basically, I've been posting behind the scenes stuff for going on at least twelve years now. Yeah. 
uh, or more. So in answer to the question, no, I'm not hinting at anything. If, if, if basically there was something to say, I would come out and say it. Right. You're just, you're, you're just filling, uh, uh, filling our plates with something during the drought. Yes. As yes, exactly. exactly. I am really excited about the Amazon news. And I think that uh, if they are smart and want to fast track anything, they can look at this low hanging fruit that Brad has been you know, wanting to get off the ground for a couple of years now and say, let's go with that. We've got a mm-hmm. 350 hour database of product that's sitting right here. There's an active fan base that loves it, a new generation that is discovering it now that wasn't even born then. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah, I certainly hope so, and that would be the smart thing to do. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. Or blow it all to hell and start over from uh, fresh and make mm-hmm. you know millions of enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Joe, as always, it's a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so yeah, much for joining us. it was a lot us. of fun, as always. Thank you. Thanks so much to Joseph Malazzi for returning once again for another episode of Dial the Gate. This time we covered season one of Stargate Atlantis and uh, many more to go. Two, three, four, five, one and two. So another six, seven episodes to go before we run out of uh, Stargate content to talk about. Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. Checkout is fast and it's easy, and you can even use your Amazon or your PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.redbubble.com, and thank you so much for your support. And if you enjoy the show, please consider liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting. All this um, engagement helps uh, the show fuel um, uh, further episodes so that we can continue to uh, to produce this content that everyone loves. So my name is David Reed. Thanks again to Joseph Malazzi for, for joining us. Thanks to, to my uh, amazing team of, of moderators and staff, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony, Linda Gategabrafuri, and Jennifer Kirby. Thank you all for continuing to make this show happen with me and get us to that 100th episode. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. See you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. <laughs>